I just don't like doing sales, right? And I don't like that sort of having to sell something. It's like mm-hmm. I like an idea, and I can be enthusiastic about it, and I kind of want you to come along, but I don't want to kind of make you come along. Yeah. It's hard for me sometimes, I think, as a leader to know when to apply that pressure. I kind of just want, hey, just be who you are. So it's hard for me to know when to apply pressure both on my team and with partners and clients. I'm Jim Hessler, and this is Path Forward, Real Conversations About Leadership. In every episode, we're having real conversations with real people about real issues, about the journey, about the challenges, about the joys. One thing leaders believe is that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the challenges, no matter how confusing or difficult things are, there's always a path forward. Leadership is a very creative process if you're doing it well. For the past 21 years, we've been teaching leadership primarily through the process of great conversations. Today I'm talking with JT. JT is a strategic and technical consultant at a company where his clients are dealing with all sorts of big, complex projects. He's an experienced consultant. He has a lot of years of experience and is currently in a director-level position. Within our organization, we do both strategy and actual development. And sometimes I kind of sit between the two to kind of help be that translator, if you will. Um, Most of my role is helping clients realize what they have, first of all, what their data problems are, technical problems are, and then how to resolve those. So the value I bring as a, as a, either as a technical director or now as, as in strategy and foresight really comes from my ability to communicate rather than my ability to also understand technical complexities. A lot of technical people, they just communicate differently. They've been trained to communicate differently. A lot of times, think a little bit differently, right? That's the value that they bring. They're brilliant in those areas. Well, and they tend to have their own language as well. They right? have their own language, mm-hmm. both from a domain perspective and also in just um, the way they think about something, like a... Like a Something that's factual and in one way to somebody that's very deeply technical, maybe a little bit more subjective to somebody, maybe it comes from a little more business end and sees things a little bit more in the fluid range. And so most of my success early on as a professional has really come from that ability to translate between the two. The ability to communicate a complex idea in a clear way, I'm not going to say a simple way, but a clear way, there's a real art to that. You're taking this massive amount of technology that's in, involved in getting data and all that stuff, and you're, you're trying to make it real for them in terms of the actual day-to-day impact it's going to have on their business. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And it's true not just with clients, but it's also true with partners, and it's also true with your mm-hmm. team. It's very cerebral stuff. It's very cerebral stuff sometimes. It feels like I put in a couple hours work, and it feels like a whole day. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I know the feeling. Yeah. It's like writing a book. Right. When, when I'm in the process of writing a book, two hours, man, is like more than I can handle. I mean, they, they say that the, the human brain, I think, weighs roughly three and a half or four pounds. And when the, when the human brain is involved in any kind of significant discovery or, or cognitive function, apparently it can use something like 25 or 30 percent of all the oxygen in your body when you're working on it. So, so people in our in our lexicon, in our business, we call we call this the boot and the sandal. We call the type of work you do that's out of out of memory, that's kind of tactical, that's kind of 
repetitive in any way is your is your boot work. That's when you have your work boots on. When you have your sandals on is when you're you know the the idea of like a Greek philosopher or something, and you're you're actually thinking deeply about something. And we always want to make sure people understand that that cerebral work is really hard, and you can't do an eight hour straight stretch of it if you're human. Yeah, and I think that's really important for. Anybody in an organization understand whether you're a leader or or you're a boot on the ground, so to speak, right? It's really important to understand that that tempo difference is different for the different type of work that's being done, um, because I think sometimes, especially in larger organizations where value is placed on time at desk, um, uh, that can yeah. seem imbalanced. And and I think just approaching that with a more open understanding of those the different shoes that everybody's wearing. I like that different shoes versus different hats. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to start using okay, different cool. shoes. You can steal that. Yeah, or buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> you buy the book and you get rights to there. The you go <laughs> footwear. Path Forward is proud to offer the Path Forward Leadership Workshop, a 15 month program for leaders at any level of your organization. The workshop's a deep experiential dive into what it means to think and act as a leader. It's facilitated in small cohorts and focuses on creating changes in approach and behavior that not only develop the capabilities of individual leaders, but also accrues immediate benefit to the company's cultural well-being and financial performance. The workshop follows our acclaimed leadership platform model, as outlined in our book, Land on Your Feet, Not on Your Face. This is an approach to leadership that requires accountability and focus. If you have an appetite for a powerful and transformative development experience, you can find more information about our workshop and arrange for an initial conversation with me through our website, pathforwardleadership.com. So what's working for you? What's not working for you? Well... Um, I'm a pretty easygoing person, so that that's working for me in a lot of good ways. Uh, I'm very value-driven, and that's working for me both with my clients and with uh, my team, right? So Value-driven, meaning? Yeah, so um, my values come more from personal relationships rather than transactions. So I'm always thinking of the implications of, of who people are as, as people and understanding that that's kind of balanced with the needs of an organization or a business, which sometimes are a little bit more spreadsheet-based or numbers okay. crunched. So there's a there's a an ethical and a value foundation yes. under how you see your work. For sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's working for you. you so feel, that works great. You feel that the business you're in allows you to live that way and, and deliver work to your clientele within that frame of values. That's really important. Yeah, and that's one reason I'm really happy to be working where I'm at is because I've worked for a larger um, – consulting firms where that's absolutely not yeah. been the case. And so it was really refreshing to come to a place where it kind of matched my value set. It's like, okay, I could see myself here for yeah. quite a long time. So I'm just going to guess that you have a leadership challenge um, across the board. We, we, when, do you have direct reports? Do you have people who report directly to you? Uh, on an individual project, the company as a whole is a flat organization, but on individual projects for sure. Yeah. Okay. But generally, you're working across silos. You're working with people that generally don't have a, a a direct reporting relationship to you. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, to me, is always a fascinating area of leadership, right? Because I call it leading without portfolio, right? It's you, you're you're a thought leader, you're a project leader, but you don't have like a department of people that right. that report into you every day. So they don't have a mandate to actually follow what I'm saying. You right. Have to kind of lead in right. quite a different way. Right. Sure. Right. So within that context, what what kind of challenges do you find? 
So I'm very kind of like, I just don't like doing sales, right? And I don't like that sort of having to sell something. Mm -hmm. I like an idea and I can be enthusiastic about it. And I kind of want you to come along, but I don't want to kind of make you come along. It's hard for me sometimes, I think, as a leader to know when to apply that pressure. I kind of just want, hey, just be who you are. So it's hard for me to know when to apply pressure both on my team and with partners and clients. Well, I guarantee there's a lot of people listening to this conversation right now that <laughs> totally relate to that. I, you know, you, you described yourself as easygoing. Mm-hmm. And my initial reaction when I hear that is there's, a, that's, there's two sides to that. There's a real value in being a good person and a person that people like and a person that doesn't get too amped up and throw things and yell at people. Is there, a, is there a deficit or a downside to that easygoing that gets in the way of you doing your job more effectively? Uh, People for, use the term yeah. laid back. That term always scares the living <laughs> Jesus out of me. I'm just laid back. I don't know? think anybody yeah. that knows me would think I'm really laid back. Okay. I'm right. very so much there's a, an intensity to, to yeah. work. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm very open to um, pivoting, right? So that's the easygoing part. It's like if something's not working right or if you said I had to take the day off or I had to do this or do that, it's like I'm like, oh, great. Okay. But I expect the results to be the same, right? I mean in the, in the sense that – I expect we are all adults working on something, and I expect you to to figure out how we're going to maneuver around whatever that change is, right? Um, so you're adaptable, very flexible. Adap- very mm-hmm. adaptable and flexible. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue comes when I, I work with people that um, I think I've given them enough information to, to get what they need to do, and then I, for whatever reason, they're not able to execute to my expectations. What, and that could be a partner. It doesn't have to be a team member. Um, and I find that that's where I don't know necessarily, am I being a, a nuisance in, in telling them, you know, 50 different times the ways that I kind of want to see it done? Or am I being too perfectionist? Or what is the case? And I think for everybody, it's different, right? That relationship is different. You have to learn where th- that communication deficit is so you can be better at expressing your expectations, Um I think of all the questions, you know, all, all these years of work I've been doing around leadership development, I think one of the, perhaps even the most common question is how do I deal with a situation in which people aren't meeting my expectations? Mm-hmm. It's like I hear this question all the time and there, there's, there's so many different ways to approach it. I mean certainly we talk a lot in our work around shared vision. Right. So were we really on the same page? Right. So did somebody deliver something that they thought was good, but because you hadn't been clear enough up front in kind of a contractual sense about what it was you were looking for, uh, that maybe the problem occurred there. Often it comes down to a negative perception that the leader has that the other person doesn't care as much as I do that they don't have the same commitment to quality that I do. And that that's where it gets really tough because I hear, I hear business leaders all the time telling me, gosh, if, just, if my people just cared as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, do. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, for sure. Um, and in fact, the, the first instance you said, I'm excited when that happens because then it's like, oh, we just here's the correction point. And I, I know that we're on the same page otherwise. So I'm really excited to work with that person again. I think you're right in, in this other instance where – I feel like, gosh, I wish, they, I wish they could just care as much or see as much or be as effective as I am or as efficient. I'm a big person on efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where I struggle is like I realize, okay, take a step back. Not everybody's the same you know, way, do things the same way as you. In fact, sometimes they're very much more effective doing them the way they do them th- than you are. Um, but, you know, that part of me that is very, that sort of easygoing, non 
confrontational, doesn't want to have that conversation, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So, it's, so it becomes difficult to say when to have that conversation. And, and, and the same thing's true with many times the people that um, I have the most difficulty communicating with are also very non-confrontational. That's why they're not asking mm-hmm. the questions. And mm-hmm. so when you get two people that are non-confrontational together to solve a problem that actually kind of requires friction to make it work better, I think that's where I struggle to, to kind of find that line to where I apply the right amount of pressure. What, one of the things that I value when I walk into an organization and kind of determine the, the health of the culture in that organization is how freely feedback flows mm-hmm. between people. How, in a sense, how routine it is for people to say, that didn't meet my expectations or I need to see something better next time. And for the other person to be able to say, well, that's because your instructions weren't clear or next time you give me a task, please give me more guidance so I can deliver. I mean, where we find difficulties in in developing that sort of a culture is when people see feedback as a very kind of formal process mm-hmm. and, and and they kind of try to capture it in, in a human resource function rather than just – Hey, that's not that's not what I was looking for. You know, here's here's if you if you'd really delivered a product to me or an outcome in this project that I that would have wowed me, it would have looked more like this or more like that. So, or what happens when somebody doesn't meet your expectation? Do you do you like okay? I don't want to make them feel bad about themselves, so I'm going to try to find some really artful way to give them that feedback, or do you just speak your peace and speak your mind about what you saw and the gap between what you saw and what you wanted to see. Yeah, I probably don't speak my mind as much as I, as I probably should, for sure. Um, I think if it's a peer, like someone you know that's also a leader, I'd probably speak my mind more, mm-hmm. actually, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, well, there's, really no, there's no power differential. There, yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah. so that's just kind of like, you know, hey, this is how I do it, and, and I don't really feel... Um, yeah, I mean, and, and my expectations of them are higher to begin with because they're also a leader, right? And, and I think as a peer group, because there's no direct correspondence of, of what they're doing necessarily to what I'm doing, it, it works really. It's just a conversation, right? It's really easy to have at hoc. And one, yeah, and one person's not responsible for evaluating the other person. Right, and, and he's not going to get yeah. fired or like yeah. his pay, pay raise or cut or bonus is not going to be dependent yeah. upon it in an organization. Um, but I think... I think I do struggle with with how to give proper feedback, and I think it's much harder now with uh, a lot more remote people, right? Yeah, yeah. the uh, The U.S. Army, which actually does some really progressive things from a leadership perspective, believe it or not, you know, many many years ago they started this after action review mm-hmm. process, and I've always been a big fan of that because what what an an after action review is when you just say, okay, we finished the project. Now, now we're going to sit down and talk about the project, and we're going to talk about every aspect of it, what went really well, what didn't go well, um, what um, information or tools or uh, assets that I had not have available to me that would have made the project go better if I had. And um, I, I find that very few companies do that. They, they, they're so busy moving on to the next project. That's very true. That they don't really do a debrief to say – and what what I'm wondering is if that would be a really positive way for you to raise standards in the organization 
would be to, to, to participate and, and facilitate. Here's the project. I thought this was a really good project. What do you guys, what worked for you? What do you think we could do better next time to invite them to raise their standards with you in this conversation? I, if you've done something like this, just say so. But I'm wondering. Yeah, I've done that a number of times. And I'll tell you, in my experience in the sort of uh, consulting agency world, um, I'm actually a really big proponent of that, and I love participating in them because I just I just like talking about stuff in general, sure, sure. and I like learning, right? And I like, oh, let's do better. Um, I have found that very rarely in an organization, whether it be a big one with, with thousands of people in it, or or a small one like the one I have now, that people anybody from from team members to peers, anybody really wants to be part of it, and it's a dragging process. And I might do it on my projects. It's really hard to get other project managers or, or resource managers or, or what have you. To do that, or even my own project, so they managers. don't want to sit down and do that that debrief. They don't. There's want to. very little enthusiasm about it, and I've even had engineers say, "Why are we doing this?" And they kind of get it, right? But then they just they want to be working on the next thing. I think a lot of times, or they want to, you know, they don't want to have those conversations. They want to rehash. The yeah, I, don't, I haven't gotten into like the real like. Why is it that everybody doesn't want to do this? It's been a point of frustration for me to the point of I just I had to let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that because um, I, I'm I'm suspicious of there just being a cultural problem in the organization if it can't have if it doesn't see value in that sort of a conversation. Um, and again, maybe part of that just the mentality of you know at that end of the project is this billable work? You know, I'm yeah. going to build a project. Maybe there's some of that. Um, I can't bill for this time, so we ought to move maybe, on. Maybe, maybe I don't know. So is it is it the stated intent of the senior leadership team? to do these post-project uh, debriefs or and it's just something you don't execute on? Or is it just there's a, a lack of belief in the value of – I'm, I'm, I'm hitting that, that one issue hard, sure. maybe harder than I should because I'm kind of using it as an example, right? There, there's often an intent in leadership to do a certain thing, but there's not the muscle behind maintaining consistency around it, right? So if the company says, you know, we're going to do these things – then who's got their name on that? Who's going who's gonna to make sure that happens? And who's held accountable if it doesn't happen? Right. Um, I have not heard, you know, a real desire to say, hey, I really want to, you know, traditionally it's called like postmortems or what have you, right? But after action discussions, how do we how do we do this as an organization? Let's take this on and own it. I have not really heard that as a driving factor of a priority right now. And, you know, we got other priorities and you have to balance yeah. it out. yeah. Yeah, it's and it's back to the it's back to the boot and sandal metaphor I used earlier, right? Mm-hmm. That when you when you're measuring utilization rates and there's a strong drive to that, um, the the natural outcome of that is people are going to want to put their boots on more than their sandals because that's when they're seen as adding value, right? That's that's the measure that that they're held to is and, and absolutely and there's not a, because of that. And I've worked for professional service organizations, and I kind of am one uh, in my current work, um, there, you, you can utilize yourself to death and, and end up with a company that's ragged and, and distracted and discouraged because you're not stopping and taking a breath once in a while and saying, how do we do what we do? I mean, it sounds like mm-hmm. you do some of that, but it also doesn't sound like there's a lot of discipline around it. No, it's very much more free form. I think uh, in our organization, it's a very flat organization. Like I said, and, f- and that I think kind of kind of helps that to propagate that that sort mm-hmm. of condition, right? Um, and I think I think there's positives and neg- negatives of that. And um, there's so many 
healthier things that we do as an organization than in other organizations I've worked at. For example, there's very little fear-driven culture, right? Mm -hmm. I worked at some organizations that had, you know, big tech clients, and, and I would tell you the amount of fear that's driven from leadership is so toxic, right? And so here, it's almost like the exact opposite. Right, that's right? the downside of consequences and accountability is when it's punitive and unpleasant, right? Right, so I would say yeah. we have a very, very, very healthy environment in that regard. I think what we're looking at now is great. Now we're looking to become even, even you know, how can we be better as an organization? And then we're asking those types of questions, and I, I don't think we're at the point where we have answers for everything, and that's true of any organization. Um, I think... You know, we talked about some of the personality issues. You talked about an e- being an easygoing guy and maybe you need to challenge people more and maybe you need to be more outspoken. I'm coming away from this conversation wondering if it's more structural, if it's more um, what are the expectations and how do we um, have an open and honest conversation as an organization, right? Right. About whether those, whether we really did the best work that we could do of course, the answer is always going to be no, but how do we get better next time? Yeah. I and mean, it sounds like, again, some of that happens, but I don't know that it happens with the level of discipline and structure that it could. Yeah, and I think it. I think for me, hearing what you're saying there and kind of putting it back into context a little bit within where I've seen it struggle in, in my organization or just on my teams in the past is um, specifically around – Things that are, are again not a whole project. Again, not looking at, uh, at at the whole project when it's done. It's it's really again more that agile approach yep. and really evaluating it at, 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 at key milestones. Yeah, every week or two weeks we yeah. do a scrum and we sit down and and talk about where we are, what we've delivered in the last two weeks, and what we need to deliver in the following two weeks. And I think that's another way to stay on top of the project without being onerous and, and micromanaging. Yeah, and I think the challenge for me personally there is just more logistically is you can have that conversation in a group and it's very um, productive maybe for the project as a whole. Because uh, I would say, you know, I don't have a problem with the quality of a project when it's all done. I think for me it's sometimes there's a process along the way. Got and, it. Okay. You know, yeah. And I think for me giving that feedback, so you have a group conversation, how do you then just, without having a structure in place to do it, just continually have – that one-on-one conversation, like, hey, you know, Joe, here's what I'm thinking about, about you know, your quality of work on this without feeling like you're being a parent all the time. I think for me, that's the psychological thing is I feel like I'm, I'm sitting my kid down and having a conversation about, like, the room being messy or something, right? And I think – and then but we're all professionals. Even if they report to me, it's that, it's that um, how do you do that? And, and, and effectively, and then of course you have to do that. Everybody responds to that that conversation differently. Yeah, one of the one of the great myths of business, and I hear this all the time, is as a business leader, my job is to hire great people and then leave them alone. <laughs> have you ever heard that one? I've heard that one. Yeah. Yes, and um, that's a lot of BS. That's not how you run a good business. You hire great people, and then you put them into a system that. Um, that that encourages and in a sense requires their best effort and their and their best work, and you don't just simply leave them alone. You're not a you're not passive. There's nothing passive about running a really good company. It's a very active process, and so um, I, I, it's it's tough because 
again, we, we don't want to be looking over somebody's shoulder and pointing our fingers and saying, that's not how I would have done it. You know, that's, that's not what we want to do. But we want some way for them to um, communicate as part of a team about what they're working on. Everybody who's working in a business should have to give some account of their work to, to their, their peers and, and the other people they work with. And I don't mean like, give me a letter grade. It's just, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm finding is working really well. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I need more help. This is where I don't think I have the right IT system to do the work that you're asking me to do or we need to upgrade. I mean, it's just getting people to think about their job more critically. Yeah, and I think it's and it's above the level at, at an individual task. So you could say, like, I'm really struggling. I can't get this thing to work with this thing, right? It's systemic. I get that. It's but systemic. Like, what I want to know is, like, yeah. when I get in – into that, and I think tactically, okay, there's there's maybe six people on a project, and if I have those conversations with all six of them every two weeks, if you get to a milestone, that's how many hours worth of work now I have, you know. So I think part of that is a tactical, just you can only spend so much time on so many things, and, and that's an excuse as well, right? But it's a... Uh, well, yeah, right. I mean, and, and again, it, it depends on the company's culture around the sandal work as opposed to the boot work, right? Right. Again, and, and if... I remember uh, I saw one of my colleagues sitting in his office one day reading, uh, back in the day, trade magazine, right? <laughs> they were in the international trade business and they were reading some sort of a trade magazine. And as soon as I walked into his office, he kind of like tucked it into his desk drawer like he was ashamed that he hmm. was reading. And I was like, what are you, re- what are you reading about? Well, it's yeah, something one of our competitors is doing with one of our clients in Southeast Asia or whatever. And I'm like, why, why did you feel ashamed to be reading that trade magazine, right? Why, why, you obviously have some concern that I don't see that as real work. And, and you know, when people go through these, these team-building sessions and these things where we're trying to figure out, often they just have a hard time seeing that as useful value, time with a dollar value attached to it. So, you know, I, I think that might be part of the journey in, in this company. I also having – I have the privilege of having worked with manufacturing companies, distribution companies, trucking companies, and also tech companies and, and white-collar companies. And I will say that the, the professional services firms and the software companies and stuff actually have a lot to learn from the manufacturing companies hmm. about how to map a process through a system – to get the best result. You go to a Toyota factory, every single employee in that company, from the person who sweeps the floors to the CEO, is absolutely aware of what's going on on that floor and how value is created and how problems and, and friction occurs in the organization that gets in the way of doing the work. And, and Toyota is a great company because literally every employee is held not only encouraged to participate in that conversation, but held accountable. If you're if you sweep the floors and you're not engaged in that conversation, they'll they'll find somebody else to sweep the floors. That's hmm. that's the standard that they have in their organization, and and I think, you know, in an organization like yours, it might be more of just how do we create this dialogue where everybody is responsible for quality, not just a couple of people, right. That's just an encouragement maybe to think a little bit more about making that a team sport. Yeah, it's a good idea. I think think there's some things I can take away from that and test out and try out. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's, uh, what's your big uh, win in 2023? So the biggest win we have is a project we're working on that's really, really important for uh, global sustainability of fisheries. Mm. And it's um, working with a lot of different stakeholders. So obviously there's us, right? And then there's, but there's other NGOs, there's other yep. countries, there's supply chain partners, there's fishers, of course. And so there's a lot, of, a lot that's going on in that space. And we're starting a program that has a really big impact. And so um, I'm hopefully gaining some control in that space and, and sh- shedding a light on a lot of that and getting more sustainable fisheries going. So how's that going to be challenging for you and your leadership? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more on the table, right? Because there's a lot that has to happen that uh, the work that we're doing can help enable. Um, I feel confident that we're going to do that, but I know it's going to be a tough journey. And there's going to be pivots. There's going to be... So any any tips I can get to make sure that my team is the absolute best in our partner and for a lot of that is it is working with partners and that is the very difficult part. Yeah. Um, so it's well, you you may have to be more assertive than than you've been in the past. That's definitely in my cards. <laughs> when the when the project's on, running towards a brick wall, you know you might be the need the one that stands up on the table and and screams and shouts to everybody that needs to hear it that yeah. they head in a bad way. So yeah. That's something I've been learning, and I think I'm starting to get the hang of it. But yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, work in progress. Yeah, good, good. Anything that we didn't talk about today that you that you wanted to? Uh, no, I just really, I think, uh, in general, I think having open conversations and not being afraid to talk about organizational challenges and leadership challenges is really important. Um, I, that's one reason I wanted to be on the show. Or when I heard it, I was like, hey. Yeah, so. good, thank you. Yeah, very much. We one of the joys of doing this program is is this podcast is the openness of the people that come and be guests with us, and and hopefully as people listen to the podcast, um, they're taking that as a model for the types of conversations that they want to have with with the, their colleagues and their mentors and uh, their employees. You know, so um, you know your transparency and your openness is is. Uh, inspiration, I think, to a lot of people listening. So thanks very much. We've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. As I reflect on the conversation with JT, uh, I recognize that he's in the difficult position that uh, a lot of you find yourselves in, which is uh, being a, a project manager or a leader of some sort uh, in the organization who, who doesn't have direct reports or doesn't have a lot of direct reports. I was reminded of what I consider to be the most consistent weakness that I see in the organizations I've worked with over the past 20 plus years, and that's project management. And the reason I think project management is difficult is one of the reasons it's difficult, at least, is that you're leading without a portfolio. You're leading uh, without uh, a title or an authority over the people that you're asking to do the work. And so you have to use all kinds of uh, kind of persuasive techniques to get people on board with your project because they don't report directly to you. And I really believe that in the 21st century here, we're dealing with a lot of flattened, flattened organizations and organizations in which people are being asked to lead in these same sort of situations. And you have to be strong. You have to be tough. You have to be uh, assertive. Uh, You have to hold people accountable. And you can't let the uh, organization chart and what the organization chart tells you about reporting relationships 
to limit your leadership in regard to holding people accountable to the to the components of those projects that they're responsible for. And if you uh, if you're a great persuader and you you have a great vision for your project and you can get people all excited, that's great. But almost every project is going to require you to um, to be a little bit of a pest and to follow up consistently and to be organized and structured in the way that you do that. Um, so if you work in a situation where you're asking people to, to do work uh, and they, they're not direct reports of yours, you have a unique responsibility to lead, but you can't be soft because <laughs> the, the project that you're leading is, is a product that you're being asked to produce and you can't produce it without the cooperation and commitment and accountability of the other people that are working with you. So as you're listening to this conversation and to the other conversations that we have on this podcast, I hope you're imagining how you might have participated, uh, the questions you might have asked. Would you have accepted everything that the guest said on face value or would you have challenged it more? Uh, where some things maybe we skimmed over, you would have, might have wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Thank you for listening to Path Forward, Real Conversations About Leadership. If you enjoyed this episode, really appreciate it if you let us know. You can rate and review the show on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to all my guests for the level of vulnerability they took in sharing their stories. If you'd like to be a guest on Path Forward, please reach out via the contact form on my website, pathforwardleadership.com. That's also where you can learn more about our show, my upcoming book, and my leadership services. This episode is produced by Large Media. You can find them at larjmedia.com. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Jim Hessler, and this is Path Forward. Path Forward.